0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Call 10 stocks picked by U2 experts, one hour. It is Wednesday, the 10th of January. Thanks for joining us. Our two experts on the show today, Andrew Island from DP Wealth Advisory and Kevin Robinson from Team Invest. Welcome. Happy New Year to both of you. I hope you enjoyed your your Christmas break as we now get straight back into it. And, uh, well, just on that note, in fact, uh, Andrew, um, what do you make of market movements at the moment? Of course, we saw that really strong rally into uh, the end of last year. Bit of a pullback since the beginning of the new year. Yeah. Good morning, Andrew,
1: um, or afternoon as it would be for the Mexicans. Um, look, it's um, it's it's interesting, isn't it? You know that Fed uh, Fed meeting on 12 and 13 December really sort of put a bit of a bomb under the market, didn't it? With the expectations to where interest rates are going. And uh, that's certainly, plus of course, coming into Christmas, lack of liquidity and next year will be a better year. And you know, the, the whole Santa Claus rally piece. So certainly not unexpected to see it rally as hard and equally so not sort of unexpected to see, give a little bit back, but you know, we're only down about one odd percent so far. Certainly domestically, we're very conscious of confession season all The uh, the hard-working board directors coming back from their northern beaches holidays, uh, you know, running their eye over what management's telling them as to what profit will be like coming into the February profit reporting season. That certainly is a risk for the market. But overall, we're feeling pretty relaxed. Um, the main concern, as you and I have spoken out late last year, is geopolitics. You know, I think it's something like a billion people around the world are going to be voting this year including that all-important U.S. election in November. And that, to me, is the biggest risk for the market. But there's lots of things that's going to happen between now and November. So for the moment, we're feeling okay.
0: Yeah. Pointing to that uncertainty and potential volatility that comes from that. Uh, Kevin, what's your view, of course, given that markets have run very hard? How cautious are you at the moment?
2: Uh, We don't tend to look at the market as such, although, you know, completely. Although... um, it is always nice to look at your portfolio when the market goes up and say, yeah, I'm making lots of money. On the other hand, if you're a net buyer of shares, we tend to want you know, the share prices to come down. But you're quite right, it has gone up recently and I've been looking at my portfolio and saying, yes, that's nice, I feel really good about myself. And also thinking some of the shares that I want to buy are a little overpriced at the moment. I'm, I'm waiting for the market to maybe do a bit of a pullback so I can pick up a few extras.
0: All right, well, let's see if there are any extras you can pick up uh, today that we're going to speak of. The first five we're going to take a look at. Aeris Resources, Meridian Energy, uh, the uh, Spider ETF, which tracks the S&P ASX 200, uh, Vanguard US Total Market Shares Index ETF, and BAPCOR. Now, we're going to begin with our stock of the day. It is Mineral Resources. It's brought up a close to 10% stake in the newly listed lithium company Kelly Metals, this is out of WA. Kelly uh, Metals beginning trading on the ASX on Monday, soaring as much as 75% on the day. And ahead of trade today, Minres uh, clarified that that 9.97% stake was separate to chief executive Chris Ellison's 4.85% holding, which is held through his private company WebLow. In fact, um, a number of his associates also piling into the company too. Maybe an indication there's nothing else to do over there in WA. I can afford to say that because I am a West Australian boy myself. But uh, of course, uh, lithium prices uh, also having come off significantly. Uh, well, more broadly, battery metal prices having fallen substantially over the course of 2023. So, Kevin, how do you see this play from Min Resources?
2: Uh, that's a that's a good question. Uh, we, Mineral Resources is a company, of course, that, uh, that we in Team Invest have followed for quite a while. Although interestingly, it wouldn't, ma- wouldn't meet our criteria now um, for several reasons, but having held it for a long time, a lot of our members still uh, hold uh, significant amounts of it. So, And I'm included in that. It is a very entrepreneurial company and Chris Ellison has uh, always tried new things. He's always gone for the opportunity. Um, and it's shifted over the years from being a um, a uh, mining services company into much more into mining and particularly the battery mineral. It's also interesting that, uh, you know, battery minerals are supposed to be the future. Everyone, all the pundits were saying, yes, we're going you know, battery minerals, they're going to be great. They're going to be high forever. You know, they're going to be great. And of course, now they're pulling back because they're like any other mineral. Um, Whenever the price goes up, uh, people start piling in and finding more of it and producing more of it, Um, and economics changes, and so you get the up and down of the mineral prices. I'm not going to try and predict what's going to happen, um, except broadly it is likely, I think, that uh, lithium prices will come down uh, over the long term because more people will produce it. Um, And ultimately, the demand will hit a a level, a plateau, even though it's expanding really well. Um, Chris Ellison has in the past certainly been very good at taking advantage of all the advantages and in entrepreneurial in developing uh, initiatives to drive down the costs of his production. So, so far, I'm confident that he knows what he's doing uh, until, you know, we see otherwise. But yes, I have a lot of trust in him. Trust. As an
0: entrepreneur. but, but not enough to actually uh, pile into the company yourself then. Are you, are you concerned perhaps it's putting too much, too many eggs in, in the one basket of lithium?
2: It could be. It could be. I don't know. Yeah. And uh, it is certainly, it's become a riskier company from a team invest point of view for exactly that reason, that it has become more of a mining company, both uh, iron ore and lithium, um, whereas it used to be a mining services company. So it had a stream, much more predictable stream of income and, you know that sort of thing which which is what why we started looking at it in the first place although when you say I'm not piling in I have held it for a number of years and it's done very well it's certainly one of my best so I'm not getting out of it just yet but yes you're right it is uh, much more risky than when we first started looking at it.
0: Okay got to put that down as a whole then given that's where you are right now. Andrew um, what's your view? yeah look it's an interesting one it's
1: uh it certainly is a personality stock chris ellison's done really well with this business over a number of years and as you were saying before not only does he uh, own some of the uh the new uh listing personally but of course now putting uh uh, min resources money into it as well I, I guess the thing that i'm a wee bit concerned about as kevin was just talking about before we've got that weakness in the uh, in the lithium price and you know there's been some uh, quite a bit of damage being occurred in that sector over the last 12 months uh, the other thing i'm just noticing is that short interest in min res is rising so remembering short interest is basically the percentage of the uh, book that's lent out in anticipation that the share price could fall and it's been steadily rising and it's now around 5% of the register is short, that's its highest level in the last 12 months. So even though I don't mind the business and certainly that exposure to iron ore, it generates about $2 billion uh, a year from iron ore and that's certainly not unhelpful considering where the iron ore price is at the moment. Uh, That exposure to lithium, I think, is probably hurting them a little bit. And uh, from that short interest point of view, that's not helpful either. So on balance, it's a hold. It's a great business. uh, But I just think there's some fundamentals at play that you just need to be a wee bit cautious
0: in the short term. Cautious. All right, from both, but both a hold there for our stock of the day, Mineral Resources. Okay, so let's get into the ones as picked by you. I'm going to say uh, with resources, the first one being Eris. Uh It has a portfolio of copper, gold, zinc. Um, in fact, the, the company's largest investor and backer is uh, Washington Sol Pats, which I guess is certainly a vote of confidence. It has undertaken a $30 million equity raising, uh, some $14 million institutional placement, $16 million entitlement offer. Andrew, your view on Aeris?
1: Yeah, and to your point, Andrew, that uh, is certainly not helpful, that capital raising. It is in the context of shoring up the balance sheet, super helpful. But, you know, when you go and issue a whole heap of new shares at 11 cents, Uh, then certainly that's one of the reasons, not the only reason the share price is under pressure. Um, In fact, that's not a very pretty looking chart at all. Um, You know, it's down around 35% per annum over the last five years. So, but in the short term, some of that weakness would actually cause bigger function of that capital raising. So, and there was in fact quite a few that were... um, it's the word I'm looking for. That, that the underwriters had to take. There was a shortfall in the in the placement. So, in other words, uh, you've also got some of the uh, people know that there's other shares that the underwriters are going to be holding, and that will also be weighing on in the short term. Obviously, copper's under a little bit of pressure as well. That's not really helpful. But if we sort of look a little bit further over the horizon and one of the reasons we like materials here is that whole decarbonisation and electrification thematic. And how do you play that? That's a whole other story. Um, you know, if you were uh, pretty boring, uh, you know, you do a BHP or a Rio or something like that. Uh, if you were Andrew, the ETF whisperer. Uh, you know, you might do something like an MVR or a QRE, which is both diversified materials baskets. But in the context of this particular one, I guess I just sort of look at the fact, and I like the fact that sole pats are on the register. Don't get me wrong. In fact, uh, Robert Milner, uh, the thicker the carpet, the thinner the dividend Milner, um, certainly gives me a lot of confidence. But I just think in the short term, there's a fair bit of pressure on this company. And the fact that, again, you have a look at the fact, you have a look at that performance over the last five years. I could think of plenty of reasons not to be there in this. It's certainly not a sell at these levels, but uh, I definitely wouldn't be buying them either.
0: Is that a hold then? Is that a hold? You'd stick with it.
2: Well, it's a hold, Andrew.
1: We're, yeah. we're stuck in the middle. We're a hold.
0: Okay. All right. Kevin?
2: Yes. Uh, it, it, it's interesting, and it wouldn't meet our filters at all for a number of reasons. Uh, the stability of earnings growth is, is very, very low. It has made losses in the past. It's got very thin earnings. The return on equity is lower than we would accept, as is the return on capital. Um, good news is the debt is low, which is nice. Um, and as you say, Solpats, having Solpats in there is is, a, is definitely a plus because they're, they're very, traditionally have been very good long-term investors. Uh, the other thing, if you look at, it's got uh, in its... Uh, issues shares on issue chart that is growing uh, what looks like eyeballing it exponentially Uh, i'd rather see exponential growth in some of the other uh, measures than the shares on issue quite frankly but yes so i don't think any of our team invest members would be too keen on this one
0: i'm taking that as an avoid then
2: yes indeed okay
0: (laughs) all right let's uh move now to uh, meridian energy it's actually new zealand based and uh generates uh, electricity which comes from 100 percent renewables not surprising given where it is uh wind water sun and uh we're well, taking a look at the share price um look it is not ugly it's certainly um off the back of the past couple of months it's uh it's actually done very well kevin um what can you tell us about meridian
2: Okay, again, yes, Meridian, uh, it, it's one of those companies I would like it to succeed. I think it would be great, and it does have 10 years of history. Um, its stability of sales is great. The earnings, not quite so bad, but it would come in, it would match our filters. Uh, the, the one that uh, in Team Invest would not come into our filters would be, or the two of them, would be the uh, return on equity and return on capital below our 10% requirement, um, so that, that's the only other thing uh, in terms of um, what it does, I think, uh, you know, it's certainly potentially got a future in the area it's in because of decarbonisation and because of renewable energy. Um, that's obviously a big story here in Australia. I'm not quite sure so much about New Zealand, but I would imagine New Zealand has very similar sorts of uh, uh, views on that and potential for the future. So... Uh, if it takes care of its return on equity and return on capital, we may well be interested in the future, but not right now.
0: How do you look at stocks such as this more broadly? And I guess that goes back to what we've been talking about, to the, the decarbonisation process that's underway. I mean, if you want to take advantage of that, where should you be, do you think?
2: Uh, well, I think obviously uh, mineral resources is a good place to be um, in that sense, at that end of things. We tend to look at the company once it's making a profit and once it has dependable profits for a while. So in terms of decarbonisation, if you look at any of them like Meridian, um, some of the others, if they come up to our filters and we say, okay, well, they look like they have a good potential for the future, um, we might start looking at it and get to know it so that uh, members in Team Invest will understand the business uh before it becomes really big and before it gets to the stage where we actually want to invest in it and that's a that's a a thing that we do um is we try to understand the company well before we invest in it so that's what we do with these like any others you know you look at this and say well maybe in the future it might be good so start to understand it now and then if it's uh if its measures start showing up well um then we can go in and and see if it's a good
0: investment for us. Okay, well, so uh, a no for Meridian, but you're certainly watching it, um, which is worthwhile. Andrew, let's get your view then on Meridian.
1: Yeah, look, it's a uh, it's an interesting business in the context of its size. You know, it's a twelve billion, sorry, thirteen and a half billion dollar business. But then I immediately also note that the daily turnover, so the number of shares being traded, is hundred and fifty thousand. Now that's not an insignificant sum of money, Andrew. But if you're considering a thirteen billion dollar company. It is an insignificant sum of money. So in other words, what I'm saying is that from an Australian investor point of view, it might be harder to get set in this. Uh, Certainly from a retail point of view, it might be a little bit easier. But if I was an institution, uh, then I'm less likely to be interested in this simply because there isn't that liquidity there. So that is a bit of a handbrake on it right from the get go, I would have thought. Uh, The actual underlying business is sound and that thematic relating coming back again to decarbonisation at the the most recent AGM, they spoke about the need for New Zealand alone uh, to be needing something like 20 new wind farms over the next 30 years to sort of uh, take advantage of that opportunity. So there's absolutely an opportunity. There's no doubt at all. It's to your question to Kevin, it's just how do you play it? And I'm not sure from an Australian investor's point of view, this is necessarily the vehicle in which to do it. It's certainly been a great investment for New Zealand shareholders over the last 10 years. It's up about 380% relative to the NZ50, which is up about 150 from memory, 130%. So NZ shareholders, they'd be um, feeling pretty happy. But for Aussie shareholders, I think it's just sort of more, more hard to get set. So don't dislike it, but don't really like it. So yet again, another hold, but I think there are better ways to play decarbonization. And as I just mentioned before, it's either you pick an individual company like a BHP or Rio, or you try and buy a more diversified uh, resource ETF, or Andrew, there are also some of those more uh, bespoke or unique ones. Um, The one that immediately comes to mind is the um, beta shares green metal one. And, but again, some of those more decarbonisation, electrification ones, clean from Vanek, they've certainly had pretty poor performance over the last 12 months, in part because of where interest rates are. So for me, BHP, Rio, one of those ETF baskets, but MEZ, it's a hold.
0: Okay, all right. Andrew, let's jump into your wheel wheelhouse now. Take a look at a couple of ETFs, which I'm sure you will be pleased about. Uh, the first one, being the uh, the of the state street uh s&p asx 200 stw is the code uh obviously looks to uh, provide you know results that correspond with those price and yield uh performance of the the 200 largest uh, on the index locally is that worthwhile then andrew this is about as vanilla as it gets <laughs> yeah.
1: your favorite flavor of ice cream is vanilla <laughs> then uh, this is for you. And in fact, in the famous Saran Superfund... For those playing at home, that's my wife and my uh, self-managed super fund. This is our largest holding. Um, so, you know, there's, there's my disclosure, but hopefully it also is an indication as to how I feel about it as well. Because literally all you're doing, Andrew, is you are just literally buying the top 200 companies in Australia. Uh, and you're buying it at, at, from a replication point of view in exactly the same weight that it is on the ASX. So, you know, BHP is the largest holding then you've got CBA, then you've got CSL. Um, And it's 29% financials, 25% materials, 10% healthcare. So with due respect to the active guys and girls, and there certainly is a place for active management, but certainly for portfolio composition, there's a pretty strong argument to also have a passive component. And from an Australian share market point of view, there's other ones you can consider IOZ from BlackRock or iShares. A200 from BetaShares, they're all quality companies, uh, quality ETFs as well. Uh, This one, in particular, STW, it is the oldest ETF on the ASX as well. It was uh, the first one that listed. So from my point of view, very relaxed with it. It's a buy all day, every day.
0: Um, So, yeah, it's a buy. It's It's boring, but worthwhile.
1: Yep, 10 point, what's the return been? Over the last five years, the return has been... Uh, actually didn't write down the return, sorry, uh, 8.6% per annum over the last five years total return.
0: All right. So, Kevin, um, interested to get your view um, just as far as, I guess, ETFs more broadly, or are you given um, what you do there at Team Invest, it's about stock specifics, isn't it?
2: It is, yes. And at this point, I'll bow to the superior knowledge of my my ETF whisperer colleague here. Uh, We don't as you say, we don't. We follow shares, particular businesses and particular shares and, and do our best to assess them uh, and their future earnings um, rather than investing in the market broadly. Now, I'm sure that a number of our Team Invest members do hold ETFs and it's a perfectly valid way of investing um, because, as Andrew says, you get a broad brush on the market, it's very safe, very vanilla, um, and your performance will closely follow the market, it'll be slightly under, and this is what they say, slightly under the performance of their respective indexes. uh, And that's just simply because of the fees. Um, And uh, uh, this particular fund, SDW, uh, has very low fees. Um, So the standard wisdom from what I understand is you want to look for a broad-based one that its index and has low fees, so that you can get very close to the index. And this one historically has done. And I think the fees are 0.06%. Um, and they say that they've got no uh, transaction costs as well. So that the transaction costs are included in percent, which is very, very low. And they, they appear to be doing an excellent job over time. So a valid investment, if that's what you want to do.
0: Okay. All right. So that's the view on the Spider S&P ASX 200 ETF. Andrew, I'm going to go back to you because we've got another um, ETF. This one, we're going to go to the States. Uh, This is the uh, Vanguard US Total Market Shares Index ETF, uh, AUD though, uh, ticker code VTS. uh, Once again, providing results that correspond with those price and yield movements uh, with the total US total market index, just explain a little more what this is doing.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of moving parts with this one, Andrew. Um, So, as you said, it basically holds about 3,600 odd companies that, as the name suggests, the total US market. So your Nasdaq and your S&P 500 and so forth, the Russell 2000. However, probably the key thing we need to think about with this one, Andrew, is that it's US domiciled. And in fact, this is one of the few, in fact, maybe the first one on the call that we've covered that is US domiciled. other ones that we've been talking about, so we'll just pick on SDW simply because that was the last one we covered on. It's Australian domiciled, so it's really easy, you know, just from the point of view if you fill out your tax file declaration and you give them your tax file number and all that sort of stuff, easy peasy. Uh, this one is US domiciled, so even though it's listed in Australia, it's US domiciled, and that brings up a couple of interesting points. One of which is that you've got to start filling out US tax forms. Um, Some people may have come across these W8BEN forms, or if you've got a super fund, it's the (laughs) W8BEN... Uh, dash e form so that's one thing to think about so if you have an aversion to paperwork that might be one thing to think about the other one which is even trickier and certainly moving well out of my world and in fact so i won't stray too far into it but something that people might want to consider is u.s estate planning law so basically by virtue of having investments that are domiciled in the u.s um, should something happen to you you happen to shuffle off this mortal coil Not only are you going to be captured by virtue of Australian law, but you may in fact find that some of your estate is therefore captured by US law as well. And I personally am not a big fan of that. Uh, it's hard enough dealing with the intricacies of Australian law, never mind then having to also deal with the vagaries of the US as well. So I would be suggesting that anyone looking at these these um, US domiciled ETFs, and there's, quite, there's not so many now. Back in 2018 and prior, there was a whole heap of them. Uh, but, you know, by virtue of these forms and, you know, these uncertainties relating to estate planning, a, a number of the providers actually have brought them to be Australian domiciled. So for the vast majority of ETFs in Australia, it's it's a non-issue what we're talking about. But certainly in the case of VTS in particular, it's just a couple of big amber flashing lights for me. So not there's nothing wrong with the thematic. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have broad exposure to the US. Me personally... I just prefer, and we'll cover it off, um, well, we're going to talk about NDQ in a minute, but the other way to maybe play the US market is to look at something like IVV, which is just the S&P 500 or IHVV from a hedge point of view, but importantly, Andrew, Australian domiciled, whereas this one is not, and that to me is a bit of a concern. So nothing wrong with it. Fees are really cheap, you know, to Kevin's point before, you know, fees on this one is point zero three percent three basis points um, and the performance has been pretty good It's return about 12 per cent per annum over the last five years but that sort of tax treatment is uh is troubling for me so i'm uh, i'm out
0: yeah okay great yeah, point okay. made right there uh kevin okay so once again we can assume you're not there uh but it, let's take the view of a investor who wants exposure in the states is this does this have potential? I guess, bearing in mind also, as Andrew's pointed out, though, given it's US domicile. Yes.
2: Given what Andrew said, yes. Um, it, it is, as Andrew says, the fees are very low. It, it, it Again, it matches very closely the uh, index that it's supposed to, so it's done a good job. Vanguard, of course, are, are known for being uh, early introducers of low-fee vanilla-type uh, ETFs, uh, so... Again, this is similar to theirs, and uh, all of the things that Andrew says are valid as well. You just need to be aware of all of that. Having said that, uh, if you do want some exposure to the US market without having to uh, look into particular companies, um, then it may be a way in, uh, depending on your tax treatment and all that. The other thing to bear in mind too is that given that US domicile, there is an exchange rate factor to work in as well. Probably would account for some of that performance in the last few years, because the Aussie dollar has been going down against against the US dollar. So the US, the Australian performance would reflect that as well. so There's always a risk that it goes. Um, the I think Andrew mentioned there's another one hedged but the consideration. So, interestingly. We do have a subset of team invest members who look at u.s investments and have direct u.s investments in direct companies in the u.s uh, some of which are very
0: all right okay so um interesting there, both pointing out the low fees there but just beware given uh those implications given it's u.s domicile all right let's round out the first half coming back home with batcorp uh, this is uh, well, sales and distribution of uh, car parts, accessories, automotive equipment, service solutions and the like. And, uh, well, it's, it's got a big network. I think it's got about 1,100 locations, in fact. Um,
2: Kevin, what's your view on Bapcorp? Yes, it's a good company. It's had a long history. It doesn't match uh, filters in return on equity and return on capital, who, who uh, they are under 10%. Um, and the debt is high it's within our filters but it's getting getting high so I would want to have a look at that debt and see what what it comprises if there's a significant amount of lease debt in that then that makes it less risky it's still a risk Um, and I don't I don't know that because we haven't looked at this company yet it may be one that if they take care of their return on equity and return on capital uh, it may come into our filters and we might have a look at it they have, by the look of them, had a few capital raisings over the years. They've been around for a long time. They were founded in 1971. They're based in Melbourne. They were formerly Burson. Um, and as you say, uh, they uh, sell and distribute automotive parts through a number of different retail brands, Autobahn being one of the well-known ones, an opposite lock for four-wheel drive accessories. Um, so, yeah, I'd say we're not in it yet uh, from our point of view. Um, but it might be one of those ones, if they uh, increase their return on equity, return on capital, it might come into our filters. We might have a look at it in the future. Okay. All right. Sounding positive, but not there yet. Andrew.
1: Yeah, look, it's a no for me, Andrew. Uh That share price has come under a fair bit of pressure after the AGM in October, I think it was, and uh, talking about, you know, turning it around in the second half, you know, the old hockey stick. And we're always a bit nervous and cautious when companies talk about uh, sort of uh, delivering a second half turnaround after a troubling first half. So even on a valuation basis, you're being sort of asked to pay um, sort of 12 times earnings um, look, it's it's undemanding, but what, what are they going to do to sort of turn around the second half that they weren't able to do in sort of the first half? So uh, from my point of view, even though the share price has come off and it is trading below consensus valuation, consensus valuation is around seven bucks. Where are we at the moment we're 559 uh, so certainly there appears to be some valuation support there I'd much rather pay six dollars and see that they actually are turning it around than hoping they've turned it around at 550 and heaven forbid they sort of go back to 525 or even five bucks if they aren't able to turn it around so I can think of a few reasons not to be there um, so look I think if you're already there it's a hold but it certainly isn't a buy at least stage.
0: Yep. Okay. All right. So let's summarise where we've been in the first half of the show. Guinea, of course, with our stock of the day, Mineral Resources, as it takes a stake in Carly Metals, which um, debuted on the local index on Monday in Lithium. And that's certainly the play uh, led by uh, Chris Ellison, the chief executive of Minres. He's taken a personal stake himself in that as well. So uh, Kevin's saying... um, He's got a hold on it. Uh, look, he, certainly uh, seeing mineral resources is favourable, given it's moved from a services, um, in, uh, a mining services company into, uh, into a producer. Uh, but where are just seeing lithium prices continuing to fall. So he's got a hold on it, as does uh, Andrew, calling it a personality stock, given um, the backing there of uh, Chris Ellison, who has got a very impressive track record. Um, And Andrew pointing out there, perhaps that exposure to lithium is hurting them at the moment. So a double hold there for MinRes. Into the stocks as picked by you, uh, we began there again in the resources space with Aeris Resources. Andrew pointing out, the chart looks pretty horrible at this point, certainly as the past 12 months or so. Uh, but playing into that uh, decarbonisation uh, thematic, he's got a hold on it. Uh, Kevin pointing out the stability of earnings growth is low, uh, yet does have low debt. He's avoiding it at this point. Maria Energy, which is New Zealand-based, uh, Kevin's saying it does have great potential, but that's yet unrealised. Uh, it's a no, but he is watching it. Uh, whereas Andrew... Um, Pointing out that um looks certainly impressive for those New Zealand holders of the stock, um, but there's a low turnover there, particularly if you're a holder on this side of the ditch. Um, he's got a hold on it. Into a couple of ETFs, uh, the first one being the, um, the State Street S&P ASX 200, both calling it a vanilla ETF. Nothing wrong with that, of course. Boring. Um, largest holding in Andrew's uh, SMSF. So he's got a hold on it. And Andrew pointing out, uh, sorry, Kevin also pointing out the low fees there. But it's not um, ETFs essentially not somewhere where uh, the um, team invest goes. Uh, Likewise, of course, for the next ETF, the Vanguard US Total Market Shares Index ETF. Um, Andrew pointing out good point here. Something to be aware of it is US domiciled. So there are tax Implications. Um, sorry, so you may just be put off with too much paperwork there. So it's a no from him, also a no from Kevin, although, once again, pointing out, does have uh, low fees. And just rounding it out there with BAPCorp, um, Kevin, yeah, watching the high debt, they're more broadly watching the stock at this point, not in it, but looking uh, if it particularly increases return on equity. And Andrew's saying no for him, but if you're in it, you'd probably hold it at this point. All right, so let's uh, catch up with our own portfolio that calls tracking here, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that is live here to watch at osbis.com. So checking in on the update in the new year, Well, going into December. In fact, we had some new buys and sells. ResMed, Car Group, and Johns Ling were among those that were bought. West Farmers, RPM Global, and MA Financial was sold. So just in terms of its performance, the fund up 18.4% on a cumulative return basis since its inception in March in 2022. A lot of that uh, performance coming in the last couple of months, of course, reflecting on what we've seen in the broader market. So keep your requests coming in. Keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. Next on the show, second half, we'll be taking a look at GPT. British shares, NASDAQ 100 ETF, Sims Group, Dicker data and Light and Wonder. So let's begin with GPT. Uh, it is a property investment company, not to be confirmed, uh, confused, I guess, with uh, the AI um, that's um, ChatGPT. In fact, uh, I'm wondering some people do get confused with that sort of thing. Um, as I said, property investment company, uh, diversified their portfolio of Australian uh, office, logistics, retail assets, around $32.5 billion in assets under management. Kevin, what's your view on GPT?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, so far it's a good solid company. Um, I would say from a team invest point of view, uh, no, it doesn't meet our filters again on return on equity and return on capital. Um, and the stability of earnings is very low, uh, so uh, they would have to... Uh, also, at the moment, the way we calculate PE, which is purely historical, we don't a full estimate, it's uh, just over 51, which for a property investor, I think, is fairly high. Um, interestingly, I invested in GBT uh, before the GFC, um, and I ended up with some shares where they, they had properties in Europe and they spun that off as a different investment. And I had to wait till they sold those properties. Interesting. Uh, so I would have to say from a team invest point of view, uh, not, n- no. So no, not interested.
0: All right. Interested. What, what about, um, you know, potentially given we've seen rates peak, uh, looking at uh, potential cuts here,
2: more broadly, what you're seeing
0: in, in, with rates at the moment?
2: I would say uh, there are some others that you could look at that have better fundamentals um, and possibly look around and see those. In terms of rates, don't try to predict what they do. Historically, rates uh, stay higher for longer than people predict. That doesn't mean they'll do that this time. Um, but yes, I'd say uh, look around for others if you want a rate.
0: Yep. Okay. Yep.
2: Andrew? Yeah, look, GPT is you know one of the more
1: mature ones on the market, if I can put it so delicately, and certainly has been uh, quite good for our clients over a number of years. Uh, would I be buying it today? I'm certainly not a buyer of it today, but I'm not a seller. Uh, the, uh, the REIT sector or the listed property trust sector, uh, for those of us old enough to remember when they were called LPTs. Uh, has copped a bit of a battering with these higher rates, as we were just talking about before, not as bad as it was in the GFC where the average REIT lost about 70%. I think the average one's only, only lost about 20 or 30% this time around. But to me, the way to probably play this is to, again, buy a more diversified one like a Vanguard VAP as an example. Uh, it owns the top 29 REITs out there. Uh, so rather than trying to work out, you know, is GPT better than Dexus better than Stockland, you know, better than vicinity, you sort of have one. If you're trying to pin me down and say, look, that's all really interesting, Andrew, but we actually want you to pick a direct share, I'd actually say either Charter Hall or Goodman Group so chc or gmg would be sort of my two preferred ones noting that the reit sector uh, was up 11 percent last month so again coming back to how we started the show interest rates seem to be peaking uh, and a view that they'll probably fall this year certainly in australia towards the end of this year then the market after that beating that this sector has taken starting to take a view that potentially getting exposure to REITs is the way to do it so to my point if you're going to do that, maybe buy a more broad-based one rather than trying to pick an individual one.
0: Yep, okay, good point. All right, Andrew, let's uh, get into another ETF, which will please you, the uh, BetaShares NASDAQ 100 ETF. Well, it essentially does what it says on the label, doesn't it? Um, Why would you be in this? Well, I guess you only have to look at its performance over the past 12 months.
1: The performance has been a ripper, Andrew. Uh, But that part has been helped, not only because it's full of tech, but it's also because it's unhedged so, again, remembering that that long-term average for the Aussie dollar is around 75 cents. Where did we bottom out at? 63, I think it was from memory. 62, 63. Uh, got to 68 over Christmas. Has just slipped back into the 66s at the moment. But we're still well below that long-term average. So, anyway, we'll, we'll talk about what it does. As you said, on the tin, it literally just buys the NASDAQ. So, you know, the top 100 companies uh, uh, on, on that index, it's 50 percent tech Andrew you know so again we think about the S&P 500 that I was just referencing before IVV and it's about 29 percent tech this is 50 percent tech 15 percent communication services and about 14 percent consumer discretionary it's obviously full of Apple full of Microsoft full of Amazon Um, and that's been pretty good but to me, I think the hedging really starts coming into this. So I would be, if I was to do this, I'd probably buy the hedged version of this, HNDQ. Uh, but from a broader thematic point of view, I mean, I'm certainly keen for clients to have technology exposure. It's just, do you want 50% of your portfolio exposed to that? Or is it like a barbell strategy where at one end of the barbell, you have like IVV, the, the um, uh, S&P 500 and then at the other end of the barbell, I have to say, because it is the call, qual. You stick, you know, qual in there is sort of your satellite or again QHAL if you're worried about the, the where the dollar is. And that way you're sort of getting that exposure to tech, but in a more nuanced way, whereas this is a very blunt instrument and it's worked really well, certainly. And I'm not saying that it won't continue to work well. Uh, it's up 21% per annum over the last five years. But one of the reasons is because you've got heavy concentration risk. So there there is a more um, nuanced way of doing it. IHBV and QHAL might be another way of doing it. But look, if you're already there, that's fine. Just make sure that from a, a positioning point of view, it doesn't become too big a part of your portfolio. That's that concentration risk I was just talking about before. But the names in there, like Microsoft's not going to go broke. Apple's not going to go broke. Um,
2: but I think there are other ways to play it. So it's a hold.
0: Yep. Okay. Yep. Kevin.
2: Yes, I have to agree with Andrew um, on all of that. It is interesting. There's a, a an overlap, uh, obviously, between this one in terms of the actual holdings and the Vanguard one, because obviously the Vanguard one is all uh, U.S. and some of the biggest names in the U.S. are some of these tech companies. So yes, and you talk about uh, volatility, um, even though it's done very well this calendar year or year to date, uh, 49 for calendar 49%, 49 and percent. Uh, for calendar year 2022, it was negative, nearly negative 28%, 279 So as Andrew says, with that concentration, particularly in tech, um, you can expect volatility um, if, if you want to go down that way. Their fees are also a little higher, as you would expect from, uh, you know, a company that uh, does that or a, 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 an ETF that does that. Um, and they also quote a an expenses fee where they cap it at 0.1% but their management fee is 0.38% per annum at the moment. Um, Interesting effect of uh, ETFs in general or index funds in general, when you invest the way we do at Team Invest, Uh, if you get a good quality growth company um, and hold it for the long term, if it starts, which a lot of them do start moving up the index uh, ladder, if you like. So for example, from uh, 300 to 200, to 100, something like that, you do tend to get uh, a PE expansion, and that's uh, because at each stage an increasing number of uh, index funds are required by their mandates to buy into that So that's just an interesting side effect, if you like, of, uh, of index funds for people like Team Invest. Okay, but if you are an
0: investor, you do hold it, do you, you stick with it then at this point?
2: I, I wouldn't be in it. You wouldn't? Least, I'd, say no, I'd right. have say no.
0: Alrighty, let's uh, come back home then, take a look at Sims Metals. Um, interesting just as to what's ahead, I guess, in the year ahead, uh, given um, we're looking at a slowdown in global growth, and therefore uh, we've also got overproduction in terms of Chinese steel too. Um, will that depress further as depress steel prices particularly recycled steel as well as far as sims is concerned Uh, however those scrap prices have rallied in recent weeks i was just taking a look at some of the the broke notes on the stock and uh, very much some conflicting views there so i'm fascinated to see what our experts think about sims kevin
2: it's an interesting one. Yes, it's one of those that's in an industry which, over the long term, should expand in terms of recycling materials, and they're and they're also moving into waste management in general um, and recycling. They're spreading their recycling away from steel into other other metals as well, mainly metals. Uh, Australia, in particular, has a poor uh, record of recycling compared to other. Advanced economies as well. We we, we recycle, I think it's somewhere in the teens, maybe 16%, something like that, compared to well above 50% for some of the European countries. Um, So there is theoretically room to expand the business there over the long term. There should be tailwinds behind them. At the moment, they don't pass our filters. Again, it's the old duo of return on equity and return on capital below our 10% acceptable. Um, They also, don't have uh, the uh, stability of earnings growth. In fact, their earnings over the last 10 years, on average, have grown very little with a few losses and things. So it's not a company we would look at um, from those points of view. Um, But it is, you know, I wish them well, and I do hope that we as a society recycle more um, because I hate waste and I hate the idea that – excellent metal good quality metal that can be reused recycled is going into landfill and wasted Yeah.
0: Yeah. all right yeah andrew that kevin makes a good point in fact i think australia just we're lazy recyclers aren't we
1: Um, Yes, (laughs) it's it's a a no-win conversation, Andrew. But yes, I I certainly think that in Australia, we could certainly lift our game, broadly speaking, uh, relating to uh, recycling and and all that sort of stuff, compared to, as I shared with uh, Koshi and Henry, my trip to Denmark and Sweden late last year, they certainly seem to be at the forefront of uh, all things environmental. But we're not here to talk about Lego today, sadly. Uh, since, uh, look, from my point of view, um, you know, Kevin's point is spot on relating to that variability in earnings uh, forecast of a 112% increase in earnings this year, uh, which therefore points to the fact that earnings have been under some, some pressure previously. It's trading pretty much in line with consensus at about 14 bucks. Uh, probably the big amber light for me is we have a new CEO. And again, you know, no disrespect, but whenever a new CEO comes in, they're generally sort of looking at all the cupboards and seeing, you know, where all the skeletons are hidden and, uh, you know, sort of downplaying things. And, you know, it's 12, 18 months' time. Look, what would be an amazing job I've done in turning this place around. Can't believe how I found it. So uh, from my point of view, it's yet again a hold
0: yep okay gee we're failing to get excited this half of the show aren't we anyway let's uh let's see if we have any like the last two stocks dicker data um distributor of uh, computer hardware software and those all those related uh, products uh, did have a strong third quarter trading update uh, and also upgraded its um eps forecasts ahead as well andrew what do you think of dicker data then
1: yeah, we covered this a, a, a little while ago, mm. and I looked at it back at twenty seventeen at three bucks, and I went, "Gee, that's an interesting one. I should keep an eye on that." You know, out the brain. And uh, what did it peak at? It went to some crazy price—twelve bucks, fifteen bucks, in fact—and uh, then it sort of languished a little bit there till around august as we saw and it sort of picked back up again interestingly as short interest has been falling uh it's david dicker who's the uh, ceo and chair Uh, he owns a substantial number percent of this company albeit he's been incrementally selling down so again on the negative um you know we're a bit cautious of companies whereby you have someone owning a heap of shares the underlying thematic is pretty sound and if you look at their third quarter results they're talking about there's been significant interest in sort of that sort of whole cyber security space which is no great surprise and they also point to the fact that supply chains are sort of back to normal as well they also explicitly mention that microsoft are dropping support for windows 10 at the end of 2025 and historically every time microsoft have done that that's been a big um um, prompter for IT uh, companies, IT divisions within companies to go out and refresh sort of all the laptops and computers and so forth. So there's lots of positive things about it. I guess the negative is you're being asked to pay 22 times earnings for a company that's only forecast to grow its earnings by about 12%. As I said, you've got the uh, founder who's incrementally selling down shares. So that's always going to put a bit of a cap on the share price. Um, the return on equity is excellent, you know, without trying to steal Kevin's thunder. It's a 37% return on equity. Anything over 15%, I get pretty interested. So on balance, it's okay. But Andrew, the miserable, would probably want to see it in that sort of $10 mark, not where it is at the moment. So it's a hold, and
2: it's definitely one that I'm keeping a closer eye on these days.
0: Yeah, watching it. Okay, Kevin, watching. it.
2: I agree a lot with what Andrew's saying. Um, yes, it's it's got a long history. David Dicker and Fiona Brown, who are both on the board, uh, founded the business um, back in 1978. So it's been around for a long time. They're well known in the industry. They're kind of at the other end of that industry uh, than Data3, who Data3 deal with the big companies, the large organizations and government and so forth. They, they, data uh, wholesale distribute through uh, partners, retail partners, uh, quite a few of them around Australia and New Zealand. Over 8,000, they say, reseller partners. Um, and yes, it matches all of our criteria except for the debt. The debt is very high. Um, and uh, like I said previously, I would want to look at that because I don't know uh, how many leases they would Lease debt is still a risk compared to bank debt like. Interest bearing bank debt, but it is less risky. So you have to make your own judgment as to whether, you know, what the mix is there. I would have a look at that. And I agree with Andrew, the PE is high as well. So we'd want the PE to come down to maybe 23, 24, something like that. To look at it. And we'd want to have a very close look at that debt as well to see what it comprises um, and what their history of debt is and debt management. All right. So... If you're looking for a a whole sell, buy, whatever, um, if I was in it, I would say,
0: All right. Let's round it out then with uh, light and wonder. Um, Now, this is one I have never covered before, so I'm interested to see whether you guys um, know much about it. It's a global games company focused on content and digital markets, uh, primarily supplying game and content and gaming machines. Kevin, what
2: are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, for a number of reasons, it doesn't meet
0: our criteria. I'm not surprised. (laughs)
2: That return on equity, uh, return on capital. Um, and uh, in Australia, they don't have a listed history. So I did look at the uh, US listing. Um, and it, it's got an interesting history. They're based in Las Vegas, which is probably a good place for them to be based. Um, and their 35% owner in 2020 sold out to a, a consortium, including uh, Aristocrat Asia and a number of the aristocrat leisure people came over and bought uh, the business and started running the business. So Matthew Wilson, who's the CEO, uh, is uh, an ex-aristocrat, as is Jamie O'Dell, who's an ex-aristocrat. And recently they sold, this was in a couple of years ago, they sold their lotteries and their sports businesses to two different groups in America. Um, and they now make money from poker machines, mobile casinos, and online gaming. And interestingly, their biggest profit is to Um So it's an exciting story, and obviously the new management uh, is looking like they're they're doing their best to try and turn the company around. They sold off the bits that uh, they didn't feel they wanted, and they're now focusing on the bits that they do want. Uh, they have a lot of creatives looking at the gaming aspect and that sort of thing—poker machines or slot machines, as they call them in America. Um, it's an exciting story and may turn around story. The team investment great team, in they turned around. They, so for me, and I believe other team invest members it would be a no at this stage
0: yep okay all right andrew your thoughts
1: oh look andrew we've got to finish in a buy don't we surely <laughs> no, Bring, the, bring, bring, the, bring this i'm not, I'm not
0: <laughs> twisting your arm
1: no look um, a couple of reasons this looks interesting um so first of all it was it is a u.s uh, company uh listed on the nasdaq that chose to have a secondary listing here And if you look as to their motive, is it because Australian companies are big customers of theirs, which again, you know, not only are we sinking the boot into Australians about recycling, but we could potentially also extend that boot sinking into our propensity for wagering and gambling. However, um, you know, it certainly does mean therefore that it's got a broader reach. Uh, From a valuation point of view, the P is 26, so again, it's certainly up there, but forecast earnings per share growth is around 30%. So that's certainly pretty positive. Uh, Again, um, strong return on equity, about a 34% return on equity as well. And interestingly, albeit there isn't a huge consensus, but consensus is 156 bucks versus 117. So, you know, from a valuation point of view, it's looking somewhat interesting. I'll say it's a buy simply by virtue of the fact that, as I said, you know I think there's probably something to it. But I would also caution people that it's not as bad as uh, Meridian. It's a, this, Again, this is a $12 billion company, but there's it, only about $7 million a day worth of shares that go through So it's not 150000 like the other one. But again, it's still going to be somewhat difficult to get set in this. But look, on balance, why don't we stick a buy on it?
0: Why not indeed? All right, rounding out with... Bye. All right. Well, that brings us to the end. Let's uh, sum up where we've been then for the second half of the show. Uh, beginning there with G- uh, GPT, the uh, the reit. Uh, Kevin's saying solid company, low stability uh, though uh, of earnings. Uh, it's a no from him. A hold from Andrew. He does actually prefer Charter Hall and Goodman in the REIT space. The British shares NASDAQ 100 ETF. Uh, Andrew saying, well, it's got 50% uh, tech exposure there. Um, you need perhaps the further hedged version there. He's got a hold on it. Um, Kevin, no uh, no from him. Sims Metals, uh, a no from Kevin, saying there should be tailwinds there, but uh, little earnings growth. Um, Andrew pointing out trading in line with... Uh, Consensus, uh does have a new CEO, he's got a hold on it. Dicker Data, a, um, uh, Andrew pointing out, um, look the owner, uh, well the founder I should say, uh, David Dicker does have a large stake which he's a little bit wary of, but he's got a hold on it as does Kevin. And a light and wonder there, a no from Kevin and Andrew. Well he's finished with a buy, uh, pointing out secondary listing here because Aussies, well they're big customers. All right, that is the show for this Wednesday. Thank you to our guest, Kevin. Thanks for joining us from Team Invest. Thank you. Pleasure. And Andrew from DP Wealth Advisory. Always good to catch up with you. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Kevin. See you guys. All right. And any stock you'd like to cover, you can go to osbiz.co forward slash callpics or tweet us at osbiztv. That is the call. Join us again tomorrow. <laughs>